You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms, specifically the new shotgun from Savage called the Renegade. Now, the Renegade is a badass shotgun, and it has a dual-regulating inline valve gas system. The patented self-regulating gas system allows high-power and low-power loads to cycle with the same consistency. This means 3-inch magnums down to lower recoil 2 and 3-quarter cartridges. If you want to find out more information about the Savage Renegade, visit savagearms.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast and today we talk about wild edibles. So springtime, there's things are starting to green up and the big one this time of year is morels. The other one that we talk a lot about in this one is ramps. So we're not experts in this, we're, we're kind of just getting into these kinds of wild edibles ourselves you know past couple years been finding some morels and things like that and jeff's been getting into the ramps this year so we talk about you know what we know about them where we find them um what to look for that sort of thing how you can use them but before we get into that i want to talk about our sponsor monster whitetail grub and i know it's it's spring deer season seems far away but we're getting into the the very start of antler growth and i know guys like watching antlers grow and monster whitetail grub is a good way to do that and if it's uh, sort of as as a a side note here I, I, one of the things i hope that comes out of this pandemic is a return to shopping and buying local supporting your local small businesses because those people are struggling right now and so if you can support if you have the means right now to support your local small businesses your ohio businesses i would encourage you to do that those those people are your neighbors they're in your community they're supporting your community with probably some sort of community outreach, some sort of school fundraisers, things like that. Not to mention the taxes that they're paying on the earnings that they're making. So if you can support a local small business like Monster Whitetail Grub, you've heard me talk in the past. Monster Whitetail Grub is an Ohio-based business where they try to source everything from Ohio, the ingredients, the packaging, everything do that I, I encourage you to do that and like i said hopefully coming out of this pandemic 
you know, we think about our buying choices and and even if you're paying a little more, go down and support your local small business instead of uh, some of the big box retailers. There's there's nothing wrong with the big box big box retailers. They're they're doing a lot of good things during this pandemic as well, but. I know your local small businesses are struggling. So with that, I will get off my soapbox. If you're interested in trying out Monster Whitetail Grub or using it to get deer in front of your camera, check them out. You can go to our, our website, ohiohuntsman.com sponsors, and there's a link right there that will take you to their information and how to get in touch with them and how to try their stuff. And with that, let's get into our conversation with Jacob, Jeff, and I on Wild Edibles. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? So today, this is kind of a somewhat of a new subject for us. We're, we're going to talk wild edibles today. And uh, I say somewhat of a new topic to sort of preface the fact that we are by no means expert experts on wild edibles. We're kind of just getting into this ourselves. But it's that time of year where, uh, you know, your spring edibles are starting to pop and we thought we would talk about that today, what kind of experiences we have with those and, and where we've been finding them. Jeff is uh, by far the most versed in in these kind of things. So I think primarily we're going to talk about morels and ramps. Is that is that what you guys were thinking? Yeah, yeah. for the most part, yeah. yeah. So... Wild edibles is one of those things that, uh, and I don't know about you guys, but it, like, I love the thought of it. I love the thought of like being able to go out in the woods and, and pick something and eat it. Um, I'm very nervous to do it because I, you know, I'm like, I think that's a ramp or I think that's an edible berry or, you know, something like that. Um, so, you know, I'm very slow to get into it and, and try something new. If you if you know somebody that is like very much into wild edibles, that's a great resource. <laughs> and I wish I would have leaned on this more when he lived in the area. But uh, our old pastor's husband was a chef and he was into wild edibles. He made apparently you can make. I think it's you can make tea out of um, the bark off of a shag bark hickory tree. I think you can even make like syrup from that. You can somehow like extract the sugars out of it. So that's I mean, that's a little bit more involved. It's not like you're picking it and eating it. But I think the tea, you took the pieces of bark and uh, like roasted them in the oven a little bit to kind of I don't know, open the pores and then you can soak that bark in liquid and it extracts some flavor out of it. And then you can put honey in it or whatever and make tea from it. I think, 
I never tried it, but it was one of those things. Um, apparently, you can also eat hostas, like your hosta plants, you know, your shade plants, kind of broadleaf. People have them in their flower beds. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the brand new shoots that come up. I think you can cut them and kind of kind of like asparagus. But don't quote me on that. Now that I might I have I, to look into because I got some massive hosta plants. So I could stand to cut some of them. Yeah. Look into that. So I tell you these sort of like as my uh, that sort of ex- exhausts my knowledge on wild edibles um, outside of ramps and morels there well there is one other thing i think i read if you guys aren't familiar with hank shaw he is a like a wild game uh chef he's got cookbooks on all different kinds of wild game wild fish that kind of thing and he's big into like foraging and and wild edibles and i think i heard him say that any berry that has if you look at the the flower end of a blueberry. I mean, when you eat them, the flowers are gone, but it's got like that, that five petal star kind of thing. And again, double check me on this before you go out just eating any berry. But I think he said any berry that has that five petal like star look on it is an edible berry. So whether you know what it is or not, if it's got that on it, in and I'm I'm assuming this applied to the United States is a is a edible berry. <clears throat> now please, please double check me on that. Don't just go eating any berry, but I'm pretty sure I'm remembering that right. So do you guys have any uh, before we get into um, morels and and ramps? Do you have any other like tidbits of wild edible knowledge that you want to share i guess i mean the only thing that i would share is kind of echoing what you said jason just make sure you do your research because there's a lot of things that grow in the wild that are not edible and are actually extremely poisonous um so we are by no means experts on any any of the wild edibles not even the ones we're going to talk about today but um especially when you start getting into mushrooms and there's a lot of very poisonous ones. And there's also some very delicious tasting ones. So just make sure before you get into this, that you do more research than listening to us talk. Um, You know, there's something called a false morel, which is not a morel. Um, So just make sure similar to a morel. Right, right. That looks very similar. So yeah, just make sure you do your research. Like you said, Hank Shaw is a very valuable resource. Um, he's got cookbooks and I believe he has at least used to have a podcast and, um, he talks about wild edibles and a lot of different mushrooms and that kind of stuff, but just, it can turn bad quick if you don't know what you're doing. So don't just start picking things and eating them. Yeah. And if you're, if you're not already a, uh, a member of his Facebook group, if, if you're interested in this kind of thing, you know, his Facebook group, whether, you know, he, he responds to a lot of it. Uh, but if he doesn't respond to it, there's a lot of people in that group that are are very knowledge. You know, you can post a picture of something and somebody in there will let you know what it is or, you know, 
how you can utilize it or, or that kind of thing. So that's a, that's a really helpful resource. Jeff, did you have anything? Well, just the fact that, yeah, one of the scariest things about, you know, wild edibles and foraging is eating something wrong, you know, eating something that you think is one thing and it being something different. You know, a lot of times with hunting and fishing, you know, animals tend to be a lot easier to identify. And even if you eat sort of the wrong animal, you're not really going to get sick from it. You know, if you identify a chipmunk as a squirrel and you eat a chipmunk, you're not going to get sick. Where with the plants and wild edibles, you very easily could misidentify something and get very sick from it. Right. So The other thing that I just thought of that... Uh is edible and it's it's another thing i've wanted to try and haven't is dandelions i think the leaves on a on from dandelions are like you can put them in like salad eat them raw like that i think and um you can also make dandelion wine which i think comes from the flower is that do you guys know is that come from the flower like you you have to pick the the flowers off and and soak them and like extract the sugars to then ferment it into wine i believe yeah, I, that's correct i believe that's what part of the dandelion you use but i've never done it so i don't know for sure but i believe that's correct yeah i don't know anything about dandelions eating them other than i i know you can eat the greens in salads have you ever uh I, not in a salad. I think I've picked the greens before and just ate them just because I could. I wanted to see what it tasted like. Yeah. And, I mean, I didn't really care for it. It tastes pretty leafy, you know, like a tree leafy yeah. to me. You know, it, it has a very green taste to it. And it's like, eh, I think I'll pass. Right. Yeah. I, uh... And, Oh, I just blanked out what I was going to say. Oh, I I introduced my, and I don't know if you can eat them, but I, they they do have some sort of value. The uh, skunk cabbage. I introduced my my family to skunk cabbage the other day. We were we were at a piece of public land near here, and you know the, this time of year the skunk cabbage started to to sprout up, and I broke a piece off. And I said, "Here, sniff that." And they were both, you know, oh, gross. It stinks, you know, very similar to a skunk. And uh, we used to, you guys remember, I guess as kids, you know, we were technically trespassing, but that block of woods, you know, uh, like two fields down behind those two fields, um, mm-hmm. used to be full of skunk cabbage. You remember that? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just I knew anything about skunk cabbage. Yeah, well, I was just out um, at Grandpa's farm today and took the kids on the gator and drove around um, his woods a little bit. And that one, that ravine across the street from his house, there's that oak flat and then there's that ravine. Yeah. That's full of skunk cabbage. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, I didn't go down there and break any off, but I noticed. I looked down over the edge and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> there's a bunch of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's loaded. 
It likes those wet, damp, you know, not like flooded wet, but like damp, you know, stays moist a lot of the year kind of areas. Isn't there a value on skunk cabbage? Like you can dig the root or something, kind of like ginseng. Am I thinking of that right? I I have no idea. I think I remember. I've never heard that. I thought I thought I remember Grandpa saying you it had some sort of. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I'm making that up. Yeah, I've never heard anything like that, but that doesn't mean it's not true. I'll tell you one thing, uh, going back to the dandelions, uh, chickens really like those dandelion leaves. You, uh, we've got these four chickens, you know, and, and Ella will pick the, the dandelion leaves and take them down there. And they're in just a, a tote for, you know, a big tote brooder. <laughs> and they will, one of the chickens will pick, you know, cause there's not really anywhere for them to run. One of them will pick one of these leaves up and basically spin in a circle trying to like get away from the other chickens and then find a corner of the of, of the brooder it can get it in and kind of stick its head in the corner and eat the dandelion leaves. But they they go pretty bonkers over dandelion leaves. So I might not have any for my salad, I guess, once I un- unleash them on the yard. Mm-hmm. So, quick research, skunk cabbage root can be used to make medicine. So, it may have some sort of market like ginseng. Okay. I mean, I have no idea how to make it or what you make from it, but the underground stem or the rhizome is used to make medicine. So, hmm. but the rhizome, after- that just reminded me of uh, hops. Yeah. There's, a, there's an edible. There you go, yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know that you want to eat the hops per se, but you know, you obviously use them in beer. I mean, people that like hops, they there is hop candy they make. You know, if you like a really hoppy beer, maybe you do want to just chew on one. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes that's what it feels like when you drink a really hoppy beer. It's like you're chewing on them. <laughs> maybe you could suck on that candy while you were drinking like a bush latte, and you could kick it up a notch. There you go. Although there's, you know. Bush latte is perfect as it is, right? That's right. (laughs) All right. So, I guess to get into what we came here to talk about, morels and ramps. So, Jeff, what do you want to start with, morels or ramps? Probably morels. Morels is, uh, I don't know. A more popular topic people seem to like to to talk and hunt for morels more than ramps so why don't we start there and honestly by the time this releases it may be you may be on the tail end of ramp season right i mean ramps don't stick around all that long if i if i'm recalling right do you know anything jeff yeah i mean they they sprout pretty early um and yeah they don't i mean they don't stick around too too long you know once once the leaves you know the trees start to get leaves they are typically on their on the tail end they're on their way out right okay so 
Morels. They, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I know about them, and then Jeff, you can fill in, you know, the important things that I leave out. So they Fair grow enough. early in the spring. When to find them exactly, I'm, I'm not sure. I've heard a couple different things. Um, they are obviously an edible mushroom and sort of, I think this is my personal opinion. I think some of the appeal of morels and probably wild mushrooms in general is like the hunt because, you know, they don't always grow the same place every year. You kind you know, they, they are kind of effervescent in the, in the sense that like they're there and then they're gone you got to kind of get them while they're there. And if you miss that sort of opportune weather window, you could miss them altogether. So I guess, Jeff, what, where do you typically, well, let's start with time of year. What, what are the triggers that you're aware of that trigger morels to pop? So there's two general categories of morels at least in ohio um there's your black morels which are the first ones to you know sprout pop whatever you want to call it um and they're typically fairly small um you know just a couple of inches tall um they're typically a lot darker and those are the first ones to to come up and you can typically start to find those as soon as you're not getting regular frosts at night. Um, you can find those coming up. Okay. Um, typically, once you start getting regular, like, warm nights where it's, you know, getting down to the 50s maybe only at night, maybe 40s. Um, that's when your, uh, other category of morels start coming up, which are your like yellow, gray, you know, uh, a lot of people call the, the second much larger morels, the second ones to come, which are much larger true morels. Um, that's when those start to grow is, you know, those first warmer nights, you know, when you're getting regular warm nights. So is it, it's, so it has to do with soil temperature. Is that what you've heard? Yes. I, yes. Soil temperature. Yes. I believe the, the black morels, it's basically like once the top layer of soil becomes consistently unfrozen, if you will. Okay. And then the yellow morels come up once the soil actually gets a little bit warmer. Uh, for some reason, like 50 degrees, when the soil temperatures are hit, you know, like that 50 degree mark is the number that's popping in my head. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know exactly that. I just know a lot of people focus on the the temperatures at night basically 
you know okay. what it what the temperature is at night. Okay. So rainfall, moisture, anything there that you're aware of on like when they when they pop? Not necessarily, I mean, moisture or rainfall. Um, obviously, they, they do prefer, prefer pretty moist areas. Um, I mean, they are a, a fungus, and typically fungus prefer moist areas. Um, but as to, like, rainfall or that, I I'm not really aware of, like, Oh, you need to have your first inch of rain in the spring or, you know, anything like that. Okay. Are you aware of, I guess, to kind of continue on this, like, uh, when they pop, are you aware of any of these, like, indicators or, or you know, maybe they're old, you know, old wives' tale or something about... Um, you know, when you see dandelions or, you know, when the trees are budding a certain size, then, you know, you should start to see morels or anything like that. I mean, I've, I've heard a, a lot of them. Um, I haven't ever really, you know, heard one hard and fast rule, you know, but I just about everyone kind of has their own indicator it seems like oh that's you know when i need to be out there and i've you know i've heard the first full moon in spring um to yeah like you know when dandelions or when you know hoss to start to sprout you know stuff like that i've i've heard a lot of them but i don't i've I don't know of any hard and fast rule that everybody follows. Okay. Okay. So basically once you get out of the, the, the cold, hard, cold, you know, the cold nights, frosty nights and stuff, uh, you know, when you get into soil temperatures above freezing, possibly into that 50 degree is when time of year you're likely to find morels. Now let's talk where you find them. So the only morels I've ever found are while turkey hunting. (laughs) So I guess that's my indicator when it's turkey season, there might be morels around. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I would say that that's, I mean, I'm by no means a expert wild edibles hunter but the only morels i've found i was also turkey hunting so that is a good time to be looking for them i think a lot of guys that find morels or stumble upon morels will say um do so while turkey hunting yeah. so that's about the right time of year um based on what i've seen on social media it seems like morels are starting to pop up a little bit now especially in the southern part of the state um so, you know, middle of April is where we're at now. We're approaching the middle of April. So that's with our weather this year. That's been kind of, it seems like people are starting to find them. Um, but yeah, I've only found them turkey hunting. And all I 
basically the areas that I've found them. It's kind of where most mushrooms or funguses grow. It's that kind of, they like moist, kind of like damp, decomposing areas. So like down tree log, like down trees, um, those logs can kind of tend to find a lot of mushrooms on decomposing trees or around decomposing trees. Yeah. That's kind of been my experience where I've found, but I don't know what differentiates where to find a morel versus where to find whatever toadstool mushrooms versus other mushrooms. I, I just know you typically find mushrooms on dead or decaying trees quite often. Yeah. And that's where yeah. I found morel. <laughs> yeah. I think the turkey season is yeah that's about the right time for the yellow morels um which are the bigger ones that are a lot easier to stumble upon um turkey season's most of the time pretty late for the black ones which are also much harder to find because they're much smaller um and i've i don't know if i've ever found morels on a decaying log only ever around. Have you guys ever found them on a decaying log? I no. haven't. I've never found it on the actual tree. I've found it, like yeah. I said, around it. Kind of yeah. underneath. Around yeah, yeah. like the shady area next to right. it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Also, my uh, big, I don't know, insider tip, and this might not be all that you know, much of a secret is the edge of pines. If you can find a wet area that is at the edge of a pine, you know, woods, that's a a good place to look. That's where I stumble across them. When you say wet, like, are you talking squelchy wet or just like damp, moist soil? Both wetter, uh, wetter than the surrounding area. Because I've I've found them, I mean, like two inches from like standing water. Like it's you know it's where the hillside is draining. Okay. And it's too wet for the pine trees to grow there. You know, so that's why the pines kind of stop. Sure. And uh, I've also found them where. I mean, all the way up at a ridge top, where it's just a little bit wetter than the surrounding area. And, you know, but there's decaying logs by, you know, so it kind of holds a little moisture because of that, too. But, yeah, pine trees seem to be, and I don't know if it's because I'm turkey hunting you know, in the spring when I stumble across them and I tend to like the turkey hunt near pines because turkeys like to roost in pines or if it's, you know, that uh, pine tree litter, needle litter, um, you know, creates for good habitat, good moist soil. Speaking, this is a little bit of a detour, but speaking of turkey hunting pines turkeys roosting in pines i'm gonna see i'm gonna have to see if i can get permission to hunt the farm field behind my house because i sent you guys pictures this morning of there was a handful of turkeys out there 
when I first saw him, there was uh, three Jakes. I was watching three Jakes, and they were just kind of milling around. I was trying to figure out what they were doing, and then I caught a glimpse of of something because you know I've got that barn back there, and uh, I, I just passed like past the edge of that barn. I saw a dark shape and I looked over there and there was Papa Strut. He was over there just doing his thing out in that field, strutting around. There was a couple turkeys there. I watched him for a while. I don't know if it's too early or if I'm just a bad caller, but I I tried calling to him and I couldn't get him to gobble or anything. I mean, they would pick their heads up, but they wouldn't respond to it. Right. I was going to ask you how many strutters you had out there. I saw the pic- the one picture I saw, there was one that was clearly fanned out and strutting. I just didn't know if there was more than one out there. If it was there might have a- been, yeah. There might have been. I don't know, though. It was, you know, because I would only ever see one strutting at a time, but I felt like there was, like, two of them right there that were both going in and out of strut. But I, I say that because there's a there's a chunk of pines right there that I'm sure they were roosted in those pines and then flew down into that field in the sunshine there this morning and were uh, doing their thing. Right. But that would be cool. Basically go out, you know, my back door and set a decoy up in that field. And That'd be nice. Well, they, they were hanging out in your yard a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I don't know how they ended up in my yard because I've got, fence i mean unless although i don't think it was early enough in the morning it was probably 10 o'clock or something that day right it wasn't like they had just flown down and happened to land in my yard but um ella looked up and you know saw him and was like holy crap there's a bunch of turkeys right there and then the neighbor dogs saw him and started barking at him and they kind of I mean, they didn't run, but they kind of scooted their way back into the thicker stuff. And from there, I don't know. I I don't know. I didn't stand there. It was one. Of, it was a work day, so I was technically supposed to be working. And um, you know, like I said, I've got fence all the way around my property, like an old cattle fence or whatever. So they had to have gone over the fence at some point. Right. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I uh, laid eye. Well, I didn't lay eyes, I guess, but I got trail camera pictures finally out at my property of a couple turkey. So that's encouraging because I had never gotten a picture of a turkey, seen a turkey, heard a turkey, other than my neighbor has domestic turkeys. So that's the only turkey you hear. Every time you walk by, they go firing off. But my thought process was he's got two gobblers in a fence. That he, they're, you know, they're domestic. I don't know what he's raising, what his plan is for him. I have no idea. But I figure if he's got a couple toms, and I mean, you walk by and they'll go full strut and start gobbling their heads off. So I uh, figured I'm going to set a camera up over there and see if that brings any other turkey in when it gets to be time. And I did get one hen on that camera. And then I got a hen on a different camera that's on the other side of that same field. So what 
I'm assuming it's a different hen. I have no idea. It could be the same hen, I guess, working its way around. I have no idea. It's not that far apart, but um, that gives me a little bit of hope that I can maybe drum something up. So I'll give it a try at some point during season and see what happens. Yeah. Is this but, the same yeah, neighbor that's you... getting chickens? No. my No. No. My neighbor that kind of watches the property has chickens. He just got chickens. He helps kind of take care of the property. And in exchange for that, I let him and his son, more so his son, hunt the property. Because um, my neighbor's... They just don't eat a whole lot of venison, so he's more of a big buck hunter. Um, and if you listen to previous episodes, I don't really have a whole lot of big bucks on my property currently, so that's something I'm working on. Um, but his son's just, he's eight or nine, so he's just getting into hunting. Um, so he, more so his son, he goes out with his son, and his son shoots. Last year shot a nice buck for an eight-year-old. I mean, it wasn't. You know, it's trophy class for an eight-year-old, we'll call it. Um, but, um, no, that's a couple doors down. That's a neighbor that has, I don't, I, I don't know. He may have one time had deer. I have no idea. He's got like a 10 or 15-foot fence and a building in there. And he has a sign that says, do not feed the deer. But he's got two turkey in there. So, I don't know what he does. Yeah, but they... It's two gobblers, and they are not shy. I mean, you just walk by, and they go full gobble. I mean, just strutting and gobbling, and you don't have to do anything. You just walk by them. <laughs> are they white turkeys, so, or are they... Um, the one is, like, half white, half dark, so to speak, and the okay. other one is not. It's darker i mean it's looks like a normal turkey for the most part but um yeah so i don't know if his plans to butcher him i have no idea what his plans are but um i thought was when it gets to be prime time if those turkey are firing off it might draw in some other wild toms yeah and you might have to to look into that and check with the ODNR exact because you're not allowed to use live decoys like live turkeys. So even though they're not yours, you you might want to look into it because I'm not sure because I know if that with like federal like migratory bird laws, like even even if they're not your ducks, you can't hunt within a certain distance of domestic ducks. So. Hmm. Just a just not to look, help. Yeah, I'll yeah, look into it. Yeah, because I'm I'm not sure. I don't I don't know with turkeys. I've never ran into the problem before. But yeah, like I said, I don't know. Yeah, I just had never seen turkeys on my property other than those. No, not on my property, but those domestic turkeys. But I figured if there was going to be any turkey, they would probably be in or around where those other turkey live. And I did get a picture of a hen. I mean, it's across the field so it's a few hundred yards away it's not like i'm putting a camera right next to this pen turkey but um i would imagine that they i don't know we'll yeah. see i don't know i'd I, imagine uh, they make their way over there during prime time i would imagine that they do draw some turkey in despite yeah, the I, fact that they can't get to them through a fence 
Yeah, I drive past a house that uh, has a peacock. Um, and I didn't even know they had a peacock until I noticed in the spring that there was a Jake that was always hanging out in this field um, right next to this fence, you know, in these people's backyard. And it was just like every morning he's there. And then I realized, oh, there's something in that fence. And then I realized it was a peacock is what it is. And yeah, he was, you know, basically trying to get in there with that peacock. He thought that, that peacock was another turkey or something. And yeah, every morning he would be in that field, puffed up, you know, trying to puff up next to that fence and just hanging out in that area. So it it's a it's a fence with a top on it or what keeps him from getting in there? Yeah, it's a it's a fence with a top on it. Like okay. their their whole backyard is fenced like right on this property line and then there's a hay field next to it. And I'm pretty sure like they use the property line fence, like chain link fence as one side of its pen and then put they have a top on it and you know another side. So it's a completely penned in peacock. Okay. And I think they have a bunch of other birds too. Because it looks like there's a bunch of separate pens. And I, I don't know what these people do, if they just have them as pets or what. But, I, I mean, I never paid any attention to it until I saw that Jake. Yeah. Huh. Need to pause here briefly and talk about our sponsor, Mastin's Deer Scents. So Mastin's is what I consider a premium scent company. They collect their scent on stainless steel, so you're not getting any off scents or or off flavors, like I like the joke. Um, Like some of the other companies that collect on concrete. We all know concrete's porous. And the other nice thing is you're getting that premium product at a really a budget-friendly price. So they've got your liquid scent, just your standard liquid scents. They've got scented gel crystals. They've got scented candles, like deer scented candles. And lots of cool and, and different ways to combine that. One one thing they have is what they call their double scent stacker. So it's it's basically a tube. You can put one of their, their deer scented candles down in it. You put liquid scent on top. And you can kind of layer scents. So they're doing a lot of interesting things and... We really like them. It's a good company, good good people, and they support the show, so you guys supporting them helps support the show. So, if you're interested in trying any of that stuff, go to mastinsdeersense.com, or you can just go to ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors, and that's where all of our sponsor information is, and there's a link there that takes you right to their website. So, with that, let's get back into the conversation. Okay, so back to morels right yeah yeah so we talked about when we we probably should talk a little more about where right we talked about down trees jeff you talked about like uh, on the edge of pines um any particular well pines i guess any particular types of trees where you seem to find them more frequently for for me, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if it's that they're associated with these trees or if these trees and 
Uh, the mushrooms just happen to like the same soil. And I don't know if the if the if morels and these trees have like a symbiotic relationship, or if they just happen to like the same soil types. But before all the ash trees died off, um, you seem to find them around ash trees a lot. And then the other one is uh, tulip poplars. I would find them a lot around tulip poplars. Okay. I've heard the ash tree thing. I've heard that said before that you can find, that's a good place to find morels. And like, like you said, I don't know that that's a, you know, if one needs the other or if they just grow in the same environments. But yeah, I've heard find ash trees and slow down and really start looking. Um, so I guess that sort of leads me to the next thing that I'll say is if you find one, there's a good chance there's more around. So stop and really kind of scour the ground around there. Maybe, you know, if there is some vegetation, maybe, you know, push some leaves and things aside because there's a good chance there's more. Is that what you guys have seen with, you know, if you find one, there's typically more right in that same vicinity. Yeah. yeah if you, if you find one, look around. Yeah. It's typically would... you found the obvious ones and there's probably, you know, a bunch more that are more hidden than the one that you spotted originally. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a ton of experience. I've really only found morels once or twice in my life, but, um, Jeff and I were turkey hunting and we came across some and I mean, we found whatever one and then we started looking around and we ended up uh, with at least a dozen more elves just out of that one spot. So, yeah. I mean, there's definitely, yeah, if you find one, look around because there's, I don't want to say always, you know, but never say always, seldom say never, whatever that saying is, but um, <laughs> yeah. It usually, very strongly usually, there's more than one. Yeah, I don't, I think I've only ever found one morel one time in my life. You know, it's always been at least a patch of two or three. I think I've only ever found, you know, just one and looked around, couldn't find an, another one one time. So I've found one before, and I'm... <laughs> I'm wondering if it was like the last one left in the group because it was kind of misshapen and and weird looking. I was turkey hunting and it was, I think it was last year where we had all that rain um, while we were turkey hunting. And, I, you know, I'm basically standing there in a downpour and happened to look down and went, holy crap, there's a morel. And I looked and looked and looked around that area for more and never could find another one. You know, I started making bigger and bigger circles and, and never found another one. But like I said, that one was decent size, but it, you know, it wasn't in great shape. You know, you didn't look at it and go, wow, that looks, you know, that's a picture perfect morel. It was like, yeah, you could probably eat it, you know, sort of thing. So I'm wondering if it was like 
the other ones had already faded away or maybe somebody had already found them or something and left that one or I, I don't know, but that was the one scenario where I only found one. So do you know our, like some, some wild edibles, if you over harvest them, they're gone, right? You can, if you, if you, if you're careful about it, you can come back to that same spot year after year. Are morels that same way? I typically find no, they're not. And this is also a good finding tip. If you find morels, look where the wind would typically go from that spot. And you can typically find morels there. Um, and that's typically what I find you know, like the next year is the next year you can find morels downwind of the place that you found morels this year. Well, I've heard you're supposed to like collect morels in a mesh bag or, or any mushroom for that matter in a mesh bag so that the spores can, right. you know, as you're carrying them out of the woods or whatever, those spores can continue to kind of, you know, distribute across the, the landscape, the hillside, whatever basically planting next year's crop right right yeah you're you're aiding them in distributing their spores so you know if you happen to walk past any favorable area for them to grow you know you can get some spores there and they can potentially grow there next year right so do you guys carry a uh like when you're turkey hunting do you carry a bag or something to keep to put morels in if you happen to come across them or do you just stuff them in a pocket or pack or something? I try to remember to carry like an onion bag or a potato sack bag. Um, Typically if I have a bag, I don't find them. Typically if I don't have a bag, I do find them. Mm. But I try to, I try to carry one in the, in the spring when I'm turkey hunting. But I think if I have it, it's it's sort of a a jinx, you know. If you're if you're playing in the find them, you never find them. Right. So yeah, have you I found, don't. Have I've you never have you found any this year? No, I haven't found any this year. Yeah, I haven't found any this year. I, you know, have went out and looked this spring and haven't haven't found any yet. Yeah, me either. I haven't. I mean, because we've been quarantined we've been taking walks up and down our road and I, I don't know if you can find them next to a road but uh you know we've got some like there's a little creek down from our house that you know and so I've been kind of scoping that ground and there's some pines down there and I've been scoping the ground out I it might still be a little early for for the big morels but uh because it's still getting frosty at night and stuff like that but it uh i've been keeping my eyes open it looks like you know there's some spots where it looks like it's good morel habitat morels you know uh ground but i haven't found any so anything else on morels before we transition to the edible that we have found some this year um, I think the other thing to talk about with morels is 
be cautious about what you're harvesting because there's such thing as a false morale and you can get sick from them. Um, morels, the, the biggest thing to look at, and I mean, don't just take this as the only gospel, like, but morels are hollow on the inside. Um, like the, the cap is hollow on the inside. Um, in false morels, they're not. So that's kind of the, the thing to look for. Okay. But definitely identify what you have before you consume it, especially consume a lot of it. Well, and, and the one thing I always hear, and this is good advice, is with any kind of wild edible, if you are at all unsure, don't eat it, you know. If you know for a fact that it's a morel or it's a, you know, an edible berry or something, then have at it. But if you're at all unsure, it's not worth it. So that's good. Uh, that's good advice. Good thing to remember. Cause yeah, you don't want to eat one that, uh, is not edible. Mm-hmm. So also, ramps. go ahead. Well, let's with morels. I just want to talk about this real quick. Do you guys. What do you think about morels, like the taste of them? Do you guys like them, or what are your feelings on them? Um, my experience, like I said, I have not found a bunch, so I'm by no means, I would even call myself amateur at cooking them. I am completely rookie, but um, I was not overly impressed. I don't really know what all the craze is, but I probably screwed up cooking them would be my guess. They didn't really taste like anything. They kind of just tasted like the butter I fried them up in. Like, I don't, they didn't really, I don't know. I wasn't, they didn't taste like a mushroom, like a typical mushroom. You know, you think of like mushrooms on a pizza, like mushroom. They didn't have that mushroom taste, but they didn't really taste like anything. They were just kind of, I don't know. So, I don't know. I wasn't overly impressed by them, but I'm sure that was 100% my own fault. Um, I mean, if I see any this year turkey hunting, I definitely will harvest them still to try again. Um, but I didn't get that, like, this is the best thing I've ever tasted sensation from them. Do you eat other mushrooms, like store-bought mushrooms or like Um, portobellas? I mean, my wife doesn't like mushrooms, so no, not really, because she doesn't cook with them, but... I mean, yes, I have had mushrooms, um, but it's not like a regular part of my diet, we'll call it. But I'm not, so I don't like love mushrooms, but I do eat them. Like I'm not opposed to them. They don't, I'm not turned off by mushrooms. Um, but like I said, my wife does 90% of the cooking and she does not like mushrooms. Right. So they're not usually, the only time I ever get a mushroom would be like at a, party or a get together or someone you know super bowl party someone makes some sort of a mushroom dish or something um so i like mushrooms but i'm not like in love with mushrooms we'll say yeah yeah i uh i've never eaten one we found them at the cabin and then never got around to cooking them and so i've honestly never eaten one oh yeah, because when Jacob and I found those ones and we ate them at the cabin, you had already left. 
Yeah. That's yeah, because yeah, last year I think we ate some at the cabin, but yeah, you had already left, so that's okay. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, I I don't like mushrooms. I don't really like to taste the mushrooms. Um, now morels, I'll I'll eat, um, and I like them fine, but uh, I I definitely don't think they're the greatest thing in the woods you know i i like to to pick them and eat them but it's more of a that i found morels so i'm gonna eat them kind of thing like i i'm not in love with them all right so that's kind of my my feelings on them but i just wanted to see what you guys thought yeah so ramps yeah now ramps, ramps I like. Ramps they, are these knees. Yeah, I, you know, I've just started to get into harvesting those, and those are good. I mean, I feel like I've been missing out my whole life with ramps. So, so. I'm I, after you've been telling me about them. I've been wanting to try some. <clears throat> the uh, place i've seen them is kind of like growing in a like in a low area near a creek bank you know or near a creek i guess like the the flat area near a creek but jeff you've found a lot more where do you typically find ramps yeah where you found them is a pretty typical area i i would say it's moist but well drained a lot a lot of times it's hillsides low you know low on a hillside right before you get to a creek or like sort of the the flats next to creeks um it's it's moist but well drained it's not you know standing water by any means okay yeah so explain the flavor of a of a ramp if you can so the flavor of a ramp, it's sort of a cross between a a green onion and garlic is what I how I perceive the flavor, how I would describe it. Okay. Is it's sort of a cross between a green onion and garlic. And you can eat the whole plant of a of a ramp. Um I typically like to eat the lower stem and bulb area. Um, the leaves, you can eat them. Uh, typically, I more or less use them sort of how I, and this is like how you use bay leaves. You know, you, you throw bay leaves and just about every rest, you know, any recipe, you can throw them in there, but I'm not sure how much they they do to flavor anything uh you just kind of kind of do it okay and i mean what what ramps are they're they're a wild wild leek i mean they're in the wild onion family but they're more closely related to leeks than like a than a true like onion okay so you basically eat them the same way you would like a green onion or how do you use them? 
Yeah. Uh, and I would say more so how I would use garlic. Um, okay. So a lot of people like to, to, to mix them in the eggs like they would use a green onion. Um, I more prefer to use them as I would use garlic because I think the flavors more closely related to garlic than green onion but that's just my opinion okay so we talked earlier we kind of talked you know about when to find them there you know that early spring um you know it's still frosting out and i've right now and i'm finding ramps so it's before morels you know start coming up um there you know there's not a lot else that's green on the ground right now um so like that time of you know before the woods have completely greened up is when you find them yeah they're kind of the the first plants of of green up you know they're they're most of the time the the first green in the woods if you will right like your you know your daffodil time frame right like those come up it's still frost like we had snow the other day and i got you know and the daffodils are bloomed right that time of year yes um now ramps are one where you can they'll come back year after year same spot right yes they'll come back in the same spot you know as long as you don't over harvest or do something else to to kill them off they'll right. come back you know a, a patch because typically they grow in patches or clusters similar to like daffodils really yeah you know they kind of grow in clusters like that and as long as you don't over harvest or something happens to kill them off they'll come back next year yeah because they're well like you said they're like a bulb type plant like a daffodil and so they you know grow and spread in you know in the ground like very similar to what a daffodil does so when you pick them because we were talking about this earlier there's I mean, you can just pull the whole thing, but you know, then you you run the risk of over harvesting, right? But so there, but you you can just cut the like the leafy portion above the ground, right? Or there's a couple ways to harvest them, you know, to to try to minimize your impact on them, right, Jeff? Yeah, there's definitely a couple of ways to harvest them. Um, what I've heard what you really don't want to do is use like your, your typical yard shovel and go out there and shovel up a patch. Um, even if you're only taking a small portion of them because you've disturbed the roots of a lot more than what you're taking and potentially killing off, you know, a a lot more than what you're actually taking from the, the group. You know, I, a lot of people think they're like daffodils in that respect, where 
you can basically go and dig up a whole thing of daffodils and spread the bulbs out and spread daffodils out like that. Yeah. Where with ramps, you can damage them by doing that. You damage their root structure and can can kill them. They're more fragile than daffodils. Yeah, yeah. Much more fragile. Okay. And I think... I I I'm correct me if I'm wrong. I don't I might be wrong here. But I think daffodils only reproduce by like cloning, like creating a new bulb off their bulb where ramps don't reproduce that way. Ramps create seeds and those seeds can create new plants. Oh, well. That's <laughs> That's above my pay grade on ramps. I don't know. Yeah. That, yeah. Or daffodils. <laughs> yeah. I, I know daffodils clone. You know, they create new bulbs off of their bulb. And, you know, so you have to sort of, if you're in gardening, like, spread, you know, dig them up and spread them out. Where I know ramps do create seeds. Okay. That can create new ramps. Okay. So the other thing I've read, you know, because if you want that the bulb portion, but you, you don't want to, you know, damage the crop for next year, if you will. The other thing I've read is you can kind of move the dirt away, like by hand a little bit and, you know, use a sharp knife and cut them off, like cut the bulb in half, if you will. To where those roots that come out of the bottom of the bulb are still in the ground, that that bottom half of the the bulb are, are is still there, and what I've heard, I, I haven't tried this, I can't you know vouch for it, but I've heard then that is a, a more sustainable way to harvest them as well, because that you know that that you know that root structure and everything is still there, there's still some of that bulb in the ground, and that will come back or or grow again next year. Yeah, at the very least, if you want to harvest the the bulb, um, you should, instead of pulling or digging really the bulb out, like more or less remove the dirt away from the bulb and then use a pocket knife to cut the bulb out because the roots kind of intertwine with each other from bulb to bulb, and you want... You don't want to pull it because that can damage a lot more roots than just the one that you're taking. So if you use a pocket knife and kind of cut the roots away, that helps to get the bulb out with minimal damage to other plants. Okay. So, I don't know. That That's that's sort of my knowledge on ramps. Anything else on ramps that uh, we should share that, that you have info on? Um, just that the, I mean, they, they are very susceptible to, to over harvest. Um, you should really only take a very small portion of a, of a patch, you know, of a, of a larger patch. I mean, if you find a bunch of small patches around, you know, you could probably just take one patch, but if you have a, a large patch, you should really only take, you know, five to 10% of that patch each year and be very cautious not to damage other plants because they are very susceptible to over harvest. 
um, I believe in in Canada, uh, it's the harvest of of ramps is very strictly regulated um, because of over harvest. They're they're a lot more rare in in Canada than in the United States. And I, they're a lot more utilized in Canada. I think they're a lot more popular there. So there's a, a lot of strict regulation on the harvest of them where in, in Ohio, at least for the most part, the, the regulations on harvesting them are pretty laxed. You know, other States have seasons or at least have them listed as, a. uh, uh species of concern you know i think maine and tennessee uh rhode island you know those areas all have them listed as like a species of concern due to over harvest and i think a lot of it is not so much the over harvest as the lack of education and how to harvest them i mean because they they are super tasty and you kind of you go and see a big patch and it's like, oh, well, they're a bald plant. So I'll just go out with my big yard shovel and I'll dig up some. And, you know, the ones I don't want, I'll plant those bulbs back in the ground. And, you know, I think a lot of people think of them like daffodils. And those bulbs that you're putting back in the ground typically don't survive or have a very, you know, you very good chance that you damaged them past survival especially if you're not covering those bulbs back up completely um like with leaf litter because i think the bulbs are pretty susceptible to uh like frost like if the bulbs can get too cold and die and also like the leaf litter helps protect them from insects and stuff eating at them so i think just by digging them up you are introducing a lot of other variables that can kill them okay all right well like i said at the beginning we are by no means experts on this but it's you know very much top of mind for for of course, people that are experts and, you know, us who are just getting into it. So if anybody is, you know, out there listening that is more versed in this, we, you know, we'd be interested to hear from you and, and what other wild edibles we should be looking at that are, you know, easy to identify and pretty readily available and tasty. So, of course, you know, berries, we all know. Well, I think most most of us know, you know, blackberries, wild blackberries and that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely something I want to explore more and get into more. It's just, just not something that I've committed a ton of time to. So, with that, if you guys don't have anything else to add, I think we'll. Uh, it's probably a good place to wrap it up you got anything else you want to touch on in terms of berries jeff or jason either one do you guys know like 
we my family had a some friends of ours that are photographers take our pictures a couple years back and it was a like a park a county summit it was a summit county park um and they there was lots of wild blackberries are those free to pick or does anyone know the status on that i think you have to check with the park district um i think a lot of park districts you're not supposed to pick i mean anything you know basically take nothing but photographs leave nothing but footprints um also with parks um you really should be cautious about pesticides you know they're a lot of times those paths they they mow them but they also use well not pesticides herbicides you know they also use weed killers to keep them nice and they may have just went by you know hours before or the day before and put down weed killer that you really don't want to ingest um i know on like public lands you know like national forest and stuff like that national forest and state forest you know you can harvest edibles from um and i'm sure there's park districts that don't have a problem with you harvesting edibles from them but you should probably check with the park district first all right i was just curious all right well good luck uh on your on your wild edible hunts, your morel hunts, and things like that, and uh, send us any pictures or tips you have, and and where you typically find morels. So, with that, we'll shut it off and talk to y'all next week. Okay, so that's gonna do it for this week. Hopefully, there was something in there that was interesting, and let us know. If you guys, you know, like we said all along, we, we're by no means experts on this. So let us know. Some, maybe some of you out there that, that are a little more experienced in this. Let us know. Give us some tips. What other wild edibles should we be looking for? Um, help us out. Help the rest of the audience out. Comment on the post that we make about this episode or shoot us an email. OhioHuntsman at gmail.com. There's a contact us form on our website. Lots of ways to get in touch with us. Send us a message on, uh, you know, a direct message on Instagram or something, and and we can find a way uh, to share that information if it's something you you know you're wanting to share with the the entire audience, or we can just read your comments online, you know, on the on the podcast, and uh, let people know. So let us know, and we'll share the information with the rest of the audience. And with that. Hope everybody's staying safe, staying sane, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>